Hello and welcome to the MDS podcast, the official podcast channel of the International Parkinson and Movement Disorders Society. I'm your host, Sarah Schaefer from the Yale School of Medicine, and for our June issue, I am pleased to welcome Ben Deck, a PhD student at Drexel University. We will be discussing his recent publication in Movement Disorders Clinical Practice entitled Cognitive Functional Abilities in Parkinson's Disease, Agreement Between Patients and Informants. Welcome to our program, Ben. Great to be here. Thanks for having me on. As the title suggests, your study dives into the discrepancy between patient and care partner assessments of the cognitive abilities in the day-to-day life of patients with Parkinson's. As a clinician, I can tell you that I have definitely experienced many times when a patient and their care partner disagree about how things are going at home. And sometimes it's even difficult to tell who is more accurately representing the reality. Is the patient downplaying or not aware of the issues? Or is the caregiver so overwhelmed that they they are overestimating the patient's level of disability. Can you fill us in on some of the research that preceded your study and why your team decided to probe further into this phenomenon? What was left unanswered in your minds? Sure. So we were driven to conduct this study for several different reasons. The first is that the questionnaire being used here is the Penn Parkinson's Daily Activity Questionnaire which was originally developed to remove the confound of motor symptoms from the assessment of a patient's ability to complete activities of daily living, which have been previously shown to be highly related to cognitive domains. And additionally, our group also created a shortened 15-item version of the Penn Parkinson's Daily Activity Questionnaire, or the PDAC-15, which is kind of more appropriate for clinical purposes, And this scale has been previously shown to be a strong indicator of a patient's current cognitive status. So from there, the biggest unanswered question after the validation process was, do patients and caregivers disagree on assessing the patient's cognitive abilities? And if so, what are those driving factors of that disagreement? And furthermore, who is more accurate at assessing patients' cognitive abilities, the patient or the knowledgeable informant or caregiver in this sense? And then to kind of go back and answer your first question, who is it, the patient or the caregiver who's representing it accurately or inaccurately, accurately, um, it's actually kind of both. So previous research has shown that individuals with PD uh, start to have difficulty with assessing their own cogn- uh, cognition, uh, which is sometimes described as anosognosia, being unaware of their deficits that may, they may be experiencing. Also, uh, other research has shown that as caregivers become increasingly burdened by the worsening condition of the patient, they are more likely to become depressed, and then they may tend to overestimate the patient's disability. However, the biggest caveat to all of this is that most of these previous studies are kind of founded on using scales that have the confound of motor deficits as well. So the idea behind the PDAC and behind this project is that We're using a scale specifically to measure patient cognitive functional abilities while removing that confound of motor deficits. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. I just want to jump in here just to say that we're going to be using care partner and caregiver and knowledgeable informant kind of interchangeably. In your research, you say knowledgeable informant. I have a tendency to use care partner, but, you know, basically we're just talking about somebody close to the patient in their life who is able to give us an idea of how things are going separately from the patient. 
I, I think it's interesting that the previous research was coupled with motor symptoms because also we have seen any clinician has seen that even the motor symptoms are sometimes there's a, a huge difference between what the patient is experiencing and what the care partner is uh, experiencing, especially in terms of dyskinesias, you know, the patient may not feel anything is happening at all while the care partner finds them very bothersome or overwhelming or, or um, really prominent. So it's very interesting that there just seems to be this disconnect in multiple domains. Yeah, that's very true. So tell us how the study was performed. And um, you already talked a little bit about some of the scales that you used. Can you, uh, if you bring up any new scales, if you could just let us know the specifics so that those listeners who are not familiar can, can learn about them. Sure. The sample was drawn from a large Parkinson's disease cohort at the Penn Parkinson's Neurological Institute. So approximately 254 patients and their caregivers uh, or knowledgeable informants were enrolled in this study. And then we assessed these patients uh, using a multitude of different scales. Some of the kind of primary outcomes of the study were looking at the geriatric depression scale, um, which is a 15-item version that has threshold points indicating depression and then severe depression. And again, this was designed for specifically geriatric individuals. We also examined the UPDRFs motor subscale. I would imagine that most of your listeners are very familiar with the, the UPDRS. I uh, think that's probably a good assumption. <laughs> and then the Zaret burden scale, which was validated back in 1987. And this looks at caregiver or knowledgeable informant burden based on an individual who, like a patient who has some sort of debilitating disease. That's a 22 item scale on a Likert scale. And it's basically a composite score at the end that they get. And then that composite score denotes some level of caregiver burden. The DRS or the dementia rating scale was also used to kind of get a multi-domain neuropsychological test consisting of subscales examining attention, initiation, perseveration, visuospatial skills, executive functioning and measure and memory. And then finally, we looked at the direct assessment of functional status. That was performed in a subgroup of 61 patients, uh, which is just a performance-based measure, which was completed within one year of the patient's PDAC-15 score or the Penn-Parkinson's Daily Activity Questionnaire. Uh, this scale requires that the patient basically do some everyday tasks, so things like making a telephone call, writing a check, shopping for groceries, uh, and setting up a weekly pillbox. And that scale is scored on a binary fashion. Yes, no, did they complete it or not? And then from there, you just add the composite up to a total score of 60, where if they completed all the items, they got a 60 and then so on and so forth. Detriment below that. Okay. So basically you looked grossly at cognition, mood, motor symptoms, and functional status with a focus in the functional assessment on things that require a certain amount of cognitive function in order to complete. Yep, that's correct. Okay, so what did you find? So we found that patients and knowledgeable informants or caregivers here moderately agreed both across the whole of the PDAC and at the individual item level. We also found that approximately 39% of patients and caregivers disagreed on 
more than 10% of all questions on the overall PDAC. The question with the most disagreement pertained to the patient's ability to use household machines, such as a dishwasher or a washing machine. And the question with the most agreement actually was the patient's ability to maintain a complete train of thought. We also found three significant regressors of linear regression or predictors of the PDAC 15 discrepancy. So we found discrepancy greatest in individuals who had higher patient depression, lower patient cognition, and then greater caregiver burden. So furthermore, we also found that patients with increasingly severe cognitive diagnosis, so this was individuals diagnosed on a consensus board, so they were either diagnosed with normal cognition, mild cognitively impaired, or PD dementia. We saw that as the severity of diagnosis increases, the individuals tended to disagree more. So in the following example, you would have a patient diagnosed with normal cognition. Those individuals would probably disagree less with their caregivers or knowledgeable informants. And then that goes in kind of a dose-dependent manner based on the severity of your cognitive diagnoses. So, you know, normal cognition, mild cognitive impairment, Parkinson's disease, dementia, all the way across, leading into a greater disagreement. You talked about PDAC-15 and the disagreement or agreement between patients and knowledgeable informants there, but your study went a step further than previous studies to look at the functional assessment, the direct assessment of functional status. And so what did you find with those results? Sure. So we examined this subgroup of 61 patients with the direct assessment of functional status. Again, this is that kind of actual performance of everyday tasks, like making a telephone call. And the the caregivers actually had a higher or stronger correlation with DAF's performance than did the patients. So that kind of indicates to us that the knowledgeable informant or the caregiver assessment of patient cognition was more related to the actual performance of everyday tasks compared to the patients on their own assessment of their cognition. So although the pendulum can swing in either direction, either towards an underestimation of patient abilities by the knowledgeable informant if the knowledgeable informant is depressed or stressed or has you know is overwhelmed by what's going on or swinging in the other direction towards an overestimation by the patient if the patient has cognitive impairment what you're saying is that even though it swings in both these directions, it seems like the knowledgeable informant is the more accurate overall assessor of true function as, as it was measured in the direct assessment of functional status. That's correct. And I, I think that um, something important to note here is that both correlations were significant. Uh, so both the uh, knowledgeable informant and the patient were both significantly correlated with DAF's performance. However, I think that some of that being drawn is that there were some patients with normal cognition in there, and so it may have drawn the correlation in more positive direction. Okay. And you had mentioned that only a subset of patients actually did get the direct assessment of functional status assessment, and that was 61 patients out of the about what did you say, 250 patients that were in the study overall? How were those patients actually selected? So the selection process was not intentional. It's more of a limitation of our data. Um, however, it does say something interesting about patients 
with cognitive deficits and Parkinson's specifically. So as we know, people diagnosed with Parkinson's disease have a 50% chance of developing mild cognitive impairment within six years of diagnosis. And so what we can say based on these analyses is that as people become more cognitively impaired and are diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, their caregivers become better at assessing patient cognitive abilities as they relate to everyday tasks. What we have less qualification to say is how well caregivers can actually judge functional abilities for patients who are cognitively normal. Right, because this subset actually consisted of patients who were actually worse off in most every assessment, in, including cog cognitively in terms of their mood, in terms of their UPDRSs, in terms of how long they had had Parkinson's. So, so they were just generally a bit more impaired than the average in your overall study population, correct? That's correct. All right. So how do you think that your results should impact how physicians should approach these kinds of questions in the clinical setting? Do you think we should be doing things differently in any way? Yeah, so I think that our results do inform clin clinicians about the level of confidence they can put into patient perception of their own cognitive abilities, specifically that as patients become more depressed, which is a byproduct of Parkinson's, as well as de developing some sort of cognitive impairment, also a byproduct, it may be better to use the care partner or the knowledgeable informant as almost a proxy when considering the patient's cognitive abilities. Additionally, clinicians should also understand that we provide evidence that shows caregivers who are burdened by patients will tend to view their abilities as worse than the patients view themselves. So therefore, that leads us to kind of say to people that you need to take both the patients and the caregivers into consideration. So you mentioned that, you know, given the direct assessment of functional status subgroup being a bit more impaired than the, the regular population, that that might have skewed those results a bit because you don't actually know fully how patients versus their knowledgeable informants are judging patient abilities compared to the quote unquote truth as might be deduced on this assessment when the patients are actually pretty cognitively good. And so that might be something that you could do next would be to look at that uh, population to see how the PDEC 15 between the patient and knowledgeable informant differ in that group. What further studies are needed to help us further understand how best to assess for cognitive functional abilities in our patients? Right. You, you touched on a really important one is that we need to kind of validate these findings in kind of cognitively normal individuals, people maybe who are MCI, uh, more likely to be MCI in, in Parkinson's disease. But also another pressing issue is to find out whether these results are kind of time locked cross-sectionally or if these results are a part of a greater time series of changes. So this calls for kind of a longitudinal study examining PDAC and disagreement. Um, and that that's definitely one of the directions we're headed in. I don't actually understand what you mean by time locked. Can you explain that a little bit more? Sure. So you can look at any sort of symptom of any process or disease. And that could either be if you're looking at a piece of cross-sectional data, that could actually be part of a continuum of the way that people just, you know, maybe they're depressed at this point in time but their depression only lasts for some certain period of time and it kind of fluctuates around. So the idea behind 
doing longitudinal data is, does the disagreement fluctuate as the disease course moves on, or does it a straight linear decline so, or linear increase? Does disagreement linearly increase as, you know, cognition becomes worse, or is it just, you know, we only showed it here cross-sectionally. So the idea is to gather this information long-term to see if there's still a linear trend to it. I see what you mean. So as opposed to comparing between patients with various amounts of cognitive dysfunction, uh, actually comparing within one patient as they progress from potentially being more cognitively intact to less cognitively intact to see whether or not there's a change over time. And that will in, it, that'll increase our knowledge of kind of personalized techniques for dealing with these kinds of issues. Very interesting. Well, is there anything else you want to add before we sign off? No, I think that was uh, was good. Okay, great. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. It was a real pleasure. Thank you very much for having me.